Hey, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your freedom coach, and I'm fiercely passionate about helping you become an empowered woman. As a life coach, author, pastor, emotional and spiritual wellness advocate, I'm here to help you realize your true dreams, craft your master plan, and coach you to fulfill it with ferocious execution. As a survivor of childhood trauma, I know what it takes to overcome obstacles, fears, and insecurities, and I'm here to help you do the same. But I don't do it alone. I bring the system on to share their journey in this mad voyage called life so that you can glean from the boldest, bravest, and grittiest adventurous who are living out their dreams. Join us. Today's show is sure to change your life. So stay tuned because it's... It's time to join the Freedom Girl Sisterhood with your Freedom Coach, John Scott Damon. Radio. It's time to join... Freedom Girl Sisterhood with your Freedom Coach, Dawn Scott Damon. Well, hey, everybody, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. This is the Freedom Girl Sisterhood podcast, but today our Freedom Girl looks a little bit different than you and me. (laughs) I do want to welcome you, Pastor Julian Newman and CEO of Creative... Culture Creative. Culture Creative. Yes. Thank you. Um, thanks for coming on today because I really want to talk to you. This is a right now important moment and to get this message out. And so I wanted to bring you on today that we could kind of talk a little bit about what is going on in our nation. You are a speaker for racial reconciliation. You are a coach. You do a lot of training for corporations and companies. Just tell us a little bit about why are you someone who can speak into this right now? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hey, thanks, Don. I I think, um, you know, I've been very fortunate and very blessed um, where God has given me some opportunities to be able to uh, try to bring and create bridges of understanding. And so I think it's really important as we talk about racism, as we talk about diversity, inclusion, and all those different things that are in that arena that we, we don't lose hope and we don't lose vision. And so as we're having moments like we're having right now in terms of you know, the nation's in, uh, upheaval, there's unrest, there's, there's all sorts of things that are happening that are less than uh, proper, we can't, um, we can't lose vision and we can't lose hope. We, we know what we shouldn't do but we don't always know what we should do. And so it isn't just about what we are, it's about what we are, who are we becoming? And so one of the things that we've done um, at Culture Creative is we don't just talk about the problem as we talk about the solution. And, and we try to put the solution that's rooted in uh, hope, um, joy, and love. And then that sounds, you know, for those of us that are in the faith space, that makes a whole lot of sense. But in the business context, that doesn't always feel sensical, mm-hmm. but it is love, hope, and joy that gives us the momentum and the, it empowers us to push through. And so um, I, um, I really believe this is part of my you know, God-given calling and um, the reason why I'm on the planet to try to help heal, um, to help restore, and to help uh, bring hope across this um, very, uh, this ancient issue that we've had in, um, not just in the United States, but in the world, but particularly in the United States for, uh, for four centuries and counting. Yes. 
Well, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. And I want to get into it here today. I want to talk about some difficult things. First, I do want to also say you're a co-pastor with me at Tribes Church. Absolutely. And just recently, you uh, have launched into your full-time yes. culture creative and the other things that God has, but you're still doing consulting for us. And we thank you for that. I want to thank you so much yeah. for your time today. I also want to just give us a few ground rules if I can. I, yes. I want, first of all, for those who are listening today and perhaps even viewing this, I'd like you to suspend judgment and just listen. I think the most important thing we can do right now is to listen to one another. So warning right now, this may shake up your sensibilities and you may feel disoriented. You may be confronted with something that's not your paradigm. It's good for you and I would ask that you just listen. But Pastor Julian, I also want to give you and I permission to do this. Not everything that I share will necessarily be my opinion. Yes. And not everything that you share will necessarily be your opinion. Mm -hmm. Because let's talk about what maybe other people would say, what other white people might say, what other black people might say, brown people. Let's have an honest discussion. And sometimes people are afraid to go there because, well, I don't want you to think that I'm racist or I'm prejudiced. Let's keep it real. Let's talk about what yeah. really might be happening right now. Mm -hmm. So if you're ready to do it, let's dive let's do in. It. Let's do it. What is going on? Why, is, why are so many people so angry? What's happening? Well, I think, um, I mean, obviously we're seeing, we're seeing a level of unrest that we haven't seen. I, I saw a link or an article on Twitter or Instagram that said that we're at pre-1968 levels. And so over the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, we've not been here. And so we're in a place that is so unique for so many people that are there, but um, over the last uh, six, seven years, there have been a rash of uh, shootings, incidents that have involved unarmed black people. And we could go back to, you know, whether it's Trayvon Martin or Tamir Rice or Sandra Bland, you know, there's so many different names, um, Eric Garner, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Oscar Grant, that these things continue to happen and it feels like there's not there's there's no significant consequence accountability for these things occurring um we're in covid right now so there's a quarantine people are on lockdown we're we're, we're uh, under stress and then you have Ahmaud Arbery the video comes out about him being shot three times, dying in Georgia by three men. Um, and it, it, it hearkened us back to, uh, you know, slave days, um, you know, ante the antebellum time where uh, slave catchers are running after uh, runaway slaves. There, there was just all sorts of terrible things that those images brought to bear and then you look at George Floyd, who unarmed, um, not resisting arrest, pleading for his life, nine minutes, knee to the neck, and he dies. There's a point where I think Black America 
it's just like we've had it. Um, we were not supposed to um, complain about, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick was kneeing, was was taking a knee during football games. And so that was a wrong protest. That was inappropriate. That was disrespectful to the flag. And that was disrespectful to the military in the eyes of many. Um, and here we are. It's like, well, what are we supposed to say or do? We can't, if we say something, we're to this. If we don't participate, we're not being patriotic. What are we supposed to do? And so there's a sense where uh, they, they say, what is it? The, um, the straw that broke the camel's back. The straw that broke the camel wasn't the straw that started the problem. And so we're in a situation where we're looking at centuries of pain that's being poured out with anger and frustration and heartache and heartbreak that says, you know what, what am I supposed to do is America for me. Um, and I, I'm trying to be hopeful, but it, it doesn't appear that there's any reason for hope. And so you and I are people of faith. Uh, there's a scripture that in Proverbs that says, um, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. And I really believe that the vision for America in the eyes of so many, in the hearts of so many, has, is, is burned away. And so without vision and hope, I'm just going to be up. I'm just going to do whatever. And that anger that you have, there's no, um, it, it, you're not using it maybe constructively and you're using it destructively. But I think it could be said that without some of the unrest, maybe we're not having some of the same conversation that we're having uh, in, uh, in America this morning. You said that you, we are seeing some things that were like pre-1968, and you said 10, 20 years. Well, that's actually 50 years ago. And are you telling me that in the last 50 years, like we've not made any progress? Did we just cover it over? How, how is it the same, with the same velocity, we're feeling this anger and this unrest? Well, here's, I think, I mean, to say that we have not made progress in 50 years, um, would be, um, would just, I don't say unwise. It would, it would not be accurate. We've made progress. We, we, we're able to, uh, you know, eat in the same restaurants or worship in the same spaces. We're able to go to school together and all those different things. And so to say that no progress has happened in 50 years would be inaccurate. Um, but to say that the problem that has been solved in that 50 years would also uh, not be accurate. I think that we've done a lot to look different. I think we've done a lot to create different atmospheres, but I don't know if we've really dealt with the root of the problem that has that created it. And so not to go super historical, but there was a reason why um, we enslaved people in the United States. There's a reason why we um, subjugated um, the indigenous people that are on this continent. And you know whether it's Japanese internment camps and many of the other things that we've done, Chinese Chinese railroads, um, you know, lynchings of you know Mexican uh, brothers and sisters um, during the California Gold Rush. There's so many things that have happened, and it really is based on the fact that there's a thinking process that says white people are more human than other people, and I don't think that we've ever really addressed at the foundational level 
to try to make right and repent um, as a country. I think that we try to move forward without really fixing the brokenness at the foundation of our relationship. Okay, because you know, some people would say, um, no, there's every opportunity. Like, can't you just let slavery go? That's been 400 years ago. And, you know, 50 years since you could drink in the same drinking yeah. fountain. I mean, let it let bygones be bygones. Now, again, like I said, these are not my yeah. opinions, but this is what some people would say. Absolutely. Can't we just all get along? Don't you have every opportunity in America today? Here's what I would say. My father is 60 something at this particular point. So my father was born in a world that this that was pre-civil rights act that was pre the 50 years that we're talking about so we have people that are walking around today that are alive and well and they were born before that demarcation line and so there are some people that would deny that systemic racism is a reality that would deny that okay we're, we're past it what i would say to those people that say it's not a reality when did it stop? Because systemic racism was a part of the ethos of what created America. It's the reason why we said all men were created equal and at the same time we were enslaving people. It's the reason why we, in, in the, the holy documents or the sacred writ of the American story, we uh, uh, spoke about Native Americans as savages. And so, so for those that would say, no, nah, that's not a reality, I would say that we had a system that was racist that created the inequities. So my question is, when did it stop? Did it stop 50 years ago? Did it stop 60 years ago? Did it stop 100 years ago? When did it stop? And what did we do to make it stop? And what did we do to create a different system? And so for the individual that says that slavery happened a long time ago, that's exactly true. But the tentacles of those decisions or those realities are still reaching into today. It's the reason why we've had only one non-white president in um, our whole uh, uh, birthing as a nation. You're saying that there was nobody except for one person that could be qualified for that. It's a reason why that um, in almost every situation from Fortune 500 companies, you don't see uh, people like me in a large away in those circumstances and situations. So we see those divisions. We see the realities. Um, white people are 20 times, uh, have 20 times more wealth than the, the black, black person in America. And so what is that all about? So for those people that say that, man, this is so long ago, we should just kind of get along and get over it. We have not stopped the momentum of what has been created before and so here we still are. So from an educational standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a health disparity standpoint, um, white people have every advantage. And when I say that, there are some that will say, well, are you telling me that my life has been, uh, been, been a bed of roses? Are you telling me that I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth? No, because to say that would be to invalidate the suffering of another human being. And I think it's really important as we have this, these type of discussions that we don't invalidate the suffering of other people, no matter what their color is. It just means, it doesn't mean that we don't suffer. What it does mean is that I can transcend, 
I can go beyond my poverty. I can go beyond my criminal record. I can go beyond my lack of education or opportunity. I can go beyond a lot of things by being white and having access that if I'm non-white, I don't have the same ability to be able to transcend some of those challenges and difficulties. And so I think that it's, some people see these conversations as a personal indictment, which I don't believe that needs to be the case. It needs to be an opportunity that we seize to be able to empower other people as well as manifest the goodness of God. That is something that we should leap at the opportunity from a position of joy, love, and hope rather than all oh, making excuses and denying that these things are true. I like what you said about um, systemic racism and how you define that. That's really good because while on the outside it looks like it's it ceased, underneath the tentacles are still very much alive. And 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 you've you and I have talked about this. You've experienced some of those very things. When you talk about you didn't use the word privilege. I'll use the word privilege. But when you talk about that, would that be something like this, like uh, for my son, when he began to drive and he was 15, 16, we had conversations with him about how to keep oil in the engine and how to make sure that his, his tires were uh, filled with the right amount of air. We never had to have a conversation with him about what you do when you get pulled over by the police. Would that be a privilege that he doesn't have to worry about that? But how many times have I heard someone say that they had to have a conversation with their child, a black person, about how to handle it when you get pulled over, not if. Yeah, absolutely. And so privilege, privilege is one of those words, and when you put white in front of it, it really gets people upset because it makes people feel like, oh my goodness, are you saying that I um, did not work for my job or I, I was not, um, I, I didn't get good grades. I didn't, it, it feels like you're invalidating what I've done. And so what I like to do in terms of privilege is look at it from a different standpoint. So you and I, we live in, you know, in the Western world, we live in the United States. And so um, you and I, we got up today and we did what we were doing. Um, look, you know, you got your hair together and all the wonderful things that look like happened for you this morning. Um, we brushed our teeth, we took showers and did that stuff. And we didn't think a lot about it. But the reality is that you and I have privilege because of where we live. Where there's other people in the world right now, as we're having this conversation, that do not have the privilege to and access to clean water that you and I do. And so, they in third world countries have to think about, okay, I got to go to um, the river. I have to go to the stream. I have to go somewhere to bring clean water back and I have to do these different things. So as a result of the difficulty it is to have clean water, the value goes up exponentially. You've sp spoken at conferences. We've done lots of stuff together. How many times as we clean up the place, you see bot half, half drunk bottles of water all over the place. Oh, yeah. That's just part of the deal, okay? Um, you know, my daughters do that kind of stuff. And like, hey, listen, you know, we do it because it's just not that big of a deal. What we don't realize is that we're privileged, we're water privileged in the world that we live within. We didn't ask for it. We didn't demand it. 
We didn't tell somebody, if you don't give it to me, um, I'm going to do something bad to you. We were just born into it and we enjoy it. And if I can say something there, not only are we privileged to have it, we're privileged to be free from the worry of where our next glass of water is coming from. There you go. Absolutely. So good. And so you talk about your, your son, Tony, you didn't think about that. That's not a conversation you have because it wasn't a concern. Now it didn't, it doesn't mean that Tony's bad, you're bad. No, it's just the reality in which we exist within. And so when I see privilege as a personal indictment, then I get defensive. But if I look at privilege as an opportunity to invest and empower other people, then it's a platform for service. And now I don't try to deny my privilege. I am actually looking to invest my privilege to empower other people. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus invested his divine privilege, became one of us to save us and deliver us from, um, from the shackles of sin. Yeah, that's so powerful. So let me go. Let's let's make it current in the few minutes yep. that we have left together. Yep. So, um, Ahmad Aubrey. Yeah. These guys decide to become his judge, his mm. jury, his sentencer, and his executioner. Yes. Can a black man be the judge, jury, executioner of a of a white person? Do do those guys in Georgia get that same opportunity? Absolutely. Here's what I would say. Um, I think it's important, to, and I've thought I've told, talked to people about this. I said, "Do you think that three black guys can go chase down a white young white man, shoot him in the street, it get not discussed or talked about for two months, and they're just at the house doing whatever they do? And if we didn't have a video, we this it would still be what it is." And so the rules are not the same for black people in America. We don't have the same um, latitude. We don't have the same uh, second, third, fourth chances um, as a population. And so you, they were, you know, <laughs> judge, jury, executioner, executioner. If the situation was reversed, the feeling would be very different. And so what's interesting about the story is that there were people that came out afterwards and said, well, he was trespassing and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And then they showed security cams of other people doing the same thing and nobody ran after them with rifles and guns. So there is a different experience. And just because I'm not aware of the experience doesn't mean that the experience doesn't exist. It goes, it's like the fish, and you would have a conversation with the fish and say, well, what is it like to live in water? And the fish response is, what's water? Okay. Because that's all the fish knows, they don't know anything other than that, they can't even speak to it. Mm -hmm. And so because we live in this environment where it advantages some and disadvantages others, if you're the person with the advantage or your group from the advantage people, you don't even know that you do. And so if somebody tries to point it out, Sometimes it can feel like an indictment, uh, an accusation. Um, uh, it can be weaponized. And the reality is it doesn't have to be an accusation. It doesn't have to be weaponized. It can just be a reality that we can speak about, live within, and try to do something about 
that's going to honor Jesus as well as honors other people. So many people that I know that are people of color, they're very depressed, mm-hmm. sad. Yes. They feel abandoned by their country, yeah. homeless in some ways, um, yeah. and just flat out angry. There's just a lot of anger. And I don't know that a lot of white people understand the anger. And so white people want to speak to it or correct or help. What's helpful? Well, first of all, speak. Why, why is everybody so angry? Rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. Is it more sadness? Is it frustration? Is it, I'm ju- we're just, you don't listen to us, so we've got to yeah. do something to get your attention? I would say that for me, I'll just talk very, I'll bring it down to where I'm at. Um, and I know that there's different people on, um, I would say the reason why I, I'm, a, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged because for me, I was raised in a world that said that yes, racism exists. Yes, this is a problem. Yes, these are issues. I had to talk with my father, my dad. I've done all these different things. So I was not, I was not raised in an environment that, that was devoid of understanding. My dad lived in the segregated South. With that being said, I was told that if you, if you did your best, and even if your best had to be better or three times, four times, five times better than your white counterpart, there was still an opportunity for you um, in this world. And I have benefited greatly from extraordinary parenting. Um, I, I, I live a blessed life in so many ways. But I think the thing that has my heart broken is that I could easily be George Floyd. Um, I could be Miss a mistaken identity or whatever, you don't have to be doing something egregious for something horrific to happen to you. And so I'm hurt over that. I'm hurt over the, uh, up until very recently, uh, my white brothers and sisters and their concern for this. I mean, obviously I wouldn't put you among them, but I'm hurt because it feels like America is not America for me. It feels like we're fine as long as you're helping us, entertaining us, making us laugh, doing stuff that helps us. But at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, you're not one of us. And um, to see to see that, to experience that, um, has been, I mean, I've been on this planet for a little bit now. And um, I don't think I've ever been this um, shaken um, with with uh, race and racism in America, never in my life. And, you know, I lived through Rodney King, you know, OJ Simpson, uh, you name it. Um, everything has happened from then to now. This to me is the worst it's ever been. And, um, and, and I think that my hope is in the Lord, um, but my hope in America um, is definitely shaken. Um, if not, uh, was it uh, irreparably damaged? Mm. That hurts my heart to hear you say that. Um, what's, what's helpful, what's not helpful is, 
you know, we, I quoted Martin Luther King Jr. the other day when I said, in the end, it's not the words of our enemies that hurt us, but the silence of our friends. Is it the silence of yeah. friends that hurt or is it the misguided words of friends? What? That's, that's, that's a good, that's good. You know, maybe you're kind of remixing his, his words and I think it's both that. So it's silence from people that should know better, but it's also the misguided words of the arrogant. And when I, and I hate to say it because arrogant is such an ugly word, but I've been living this life as a black man in America. I understand how to navigate to, to, to a large degree. I've experienced overt racism, covert racism. I've experienced all sorts of different things over the course of my life. Then something like this happens. And then you have these armchair quarterbacks that want to come in and tell me and tell us what we should be thinking, oh, what should we feel, really what should we be reacting. And it's like, wait a minute, if you, if you aren't willing to fight the fight of justice, then you have no right to speak into the process to try to achieve it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's a lot of people that don't know what they're talking about that rather than listen to learn to say, could you lead me and share, let me just enter into your struggle or your pain or your, your, your tears. They're like trying to say all kinds of stuff. Do this, do that, don't do this. You shouldn't be mad. Oh my goodness, Dr. King, you know, he marched and he wasn't burning stuff down. Well, one thing that people don't realize when they're talking about Dr. King, Dr. King got killed. You know what I'm saying? It's like he got killed at 39 years old. It's like, hey, we love to idolize and memorialize and uh, deify Dr. King, but hey, hey, America, we killed him too. We killed him. And so it's important for us, and I would say to those, listen. Don't rush in and start pointing fingers and, okay, you do this, you do that. You're not, you're not a teacher here. You're not a leader here. You're not in charge here. I know that society says that you should always lead the way and we should all follow you, but you need to, this is not that. This is not that. And for those of us that are kingdom people, that's not the way of the kingdom of Jesus. And so, we should serve. How do we serve one another? How do we love our neighbor? How do we, how do we embrace the suffering? That's what Jesus not just told us to do, but what he did himself. And so um, I would say that listen a lot. Check on um, those that are, that are directly affected via the aftershocks. Like I woke up today feeling very sad. Um, I shared some tears over this today. Um, I thought about, you know, my daughters, I thought about um, my relatives, people that I know, people that I love, that we feel under siege in America right now. And I've never felt this way, never walked around distrustful. I'm not a suspicious person. I'm very, uh, hey, we're in this thing together. Let's go forward together. Um, but there's a huge schism that happened and has been happening little by little and George Floyd just completely broke the damn loose and um, we're not getting it back by okay you know what let's just uh, move forward now nah, we're past move forward now and so listening is important 
loving is important, standing with is important, but I would just say this also, we gotta do stuff, not just have conversations, even though those are so important, but what role can I play? What role can you play? What role can the next person play in terms of, okay, stepping into the solution rather than just simply talking about the problem? And I think talking about the problem is part of the solution, um, but, but I, I definitely think that we all have a role to play and it's not enough for us to simply say, eh, you know, I'm going to share a meme or I'm going to run with a mod and that's going to be cool. Um, there's real people that are suffering and there are people on the margins that um, have literally lost all hope and they just don't care. I've talked to some of them um, and I still have hope. And this is why I'm here talking with you today. Um, I still have hope that we can make a better world. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I, I live with that hope every day. And um, it's why I do what I do, the reason why I am who I am, and why I press in the way, the way I do, because I really believe um, that we can do better and we must do better. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful. And I think that's a good place to kind of wrap this discussion up because God does want us to do better. And maybe for the people who are listening who, like myself, are white in this world or light-skinned and you have a different experience, maybe the place for our voice right now is in the place of our influence with among white people. So breaking up when discussions are being had and jokes are being made or people are talking about something and they don't know what they're talking about. Being willing to be that voice in those circles, maybe listening in others. I remember a time in my career where, you know, I've been pastoring and leading for, I hate to say it, but 30 years. And one kid- You started, you started in the nursery though. So <laughs> you were in the nursery kid. That's right. Prodigy. But, you know, I remember one kid that, you know, I think he'd been in the ministry about 16 minutes mm -hmm. and he's telling me how to run stuff. And he's telling me and what was worse is that he later became my boss and he just thought he knew everything. And it was just like all I could do not to just wring his little scrawny neck. And I, all I could do is step <laughs> back and say, you know, you don't even know what you don't know. And you think you sound so brilliant. And um, I love this kid, but man, you're going to learn through tough experience. And um, I don't know if I'm called to be your teacher in that experience right now or not, but you don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes when white people will talk to you a minute, you try to dive into this conversation. You've never lived a day in black skin. You don't have a friend that's black. You haven't done life with anybody black. You think you're going to go down and march with someone, but you haven't had anyone in your home for the last 10 years that's black, five years, yeah. okay, one year. Mm -hmm. You're not the voice right now that needs to be right. speaking to the table in ways, but we are those that need to be listening, learning, and, and loving, and, and wanting mm -hmm. to shut our mouth maybe in this time and just open up our heart and ears and say, how can I support you? How can I be a part of this? Yeah. Here's, I think you said it so good. I think one for, for the people that are listening to this, watching this, go to people that you know and say, hey, listen, could I 
first of all, I'm sorry. Can I, I, I'm praying for you and make sure that that's real. Don't use that just as a phrase, but then just say, how has this affected you? Because I think loving sometimes is just listening to someone share their, their experience and good parenting is, Hey, son, daughter, tell me how your day was. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that question could really open up a lot of opportunities of understanding. And if you have no one to call, then that's not an indictment on you, but I do think it's an opportunity to be able to assess where you're at. It's like, Oh, wow. I don't have anybody to invite. I don't have anybody to call. I don't have anybody to reach out to. What does that say about me? And maybe I've been living in a bubble that I didn't even recognize I was living in and I need to get out of it. And so I, I, I hope that those that are watching and listening to this don't walk away and think, wow, um, there's no hope for me or um, there is hope for you. And here's what I would also say. I think this is also another misnomer is that the conversation of racism includes non-white people and white people don't, shouldn't enter in. They should, like you just said, there's a space for all of us and a role to play. I know we've been talking about Dr. King a little bit here today, but you know, if you go back to the footage of the March on Washington, where he gave the iconic I Have a Dream speech, and I would encourage everybody that's heard the end of this speech to read the, the whole part of it or listen to the whole speech, not just the very end. But with that being said, there's a whole lot of white people on that lawn. There's a whole lot of abolitionists that lay down their lives as martyrs in the civil rights struggle. Yeah. And so it wasn't just some people, it was all people that helped make change. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that it took all of them to get us to where we're at, it's gonna take all of us to get us where we're gonna go. Yeah. It's not just, okay, Julian, it's not just those folks, it's all people that have a heart for justice. And for those of us that love the Lord, we are not exempt. And we are, we don't, we, we are, we are not excused. Mm -hmm. So we have to report, um, the Lord is you know, uh, doing roll call attendance, and he wants us to all be in class and at the ready um, to make change in the world and honor him. Beautiful. Where can people find you if they'd like to drop you a note or learn more about you? I would love to hear from someone. You, I'm on I'm all the social media aggregators. I'm on Twitter, Julian Newman. Um, by the way, there's a kid who plays basketball in Orlando named Julian Newman. So I sometimes get weird stuff talking about hoops. Um, but anyway, I'm on Twitter, Julian Newman. I'm on Instagram. Um, you can look me up there. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, um, I'm on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. And I, it's important for us to have redemptive conversations because redemptive conversations lead us to hope. Um, we have to get upset sometimes, but redemptive conversations are so very key. So I would love to hear from you and to, um, to continue to, to redemptively discuss um, the plan that God has for us to bring healing to the world. Amen. Well, thank you so much. And I know that's your heart because I've known you lo these many years now. Yes. It's, it's yep, been a while. So um, uh, before Raina was born and she's how old, you know? I know she's 17 now. 17. So yeah, so we go way back. That's yep. an amazing thing. Great. Last word, impact you want to make on the world? Uh, I just want to, um, I just want to bring beauty I want to bring, help bring beauty to broken places. Perfect. Can't say it better than that. 
All right, everybody. And again, this is Dawn Scott Damon, your freedom coach. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, it indeed is freedom time. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Freedom Girls Sisterhood. Like us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and review us. And if you'd like to leave us a note, find us on the Freedom Girls Sisterhood Facebook page or any social media at Dawn Scott Damon. As always, live a fierce, full, and free life because it's freedom time.